So I told you, it's June 16th. Our message is dads, dirt, and superheroes. Fair enough? We're going to put that on the screen. When we, uh, when we get it up there, when you think of each one of these, one is a loving father with his hand in the hand of a child. Another, well, that's Joe Dirt. I never saw the movie. Don't hold me responsible for that. But I have to tell you something deep inside me knows this guy. And uh, if you, like me, pulled up at a family reunion one time and there was one too many El Caminos, one too many brown paper bags, and one too many mullets, relax, you're in the family of God now. And none of those things define us. And the word of the day right now, of course, is Superman. Everybody's excited about the man of steel. I want you to understand he's a cheap imitation of Jesus. Superman's not the savior of the world. He can fall out of his spaceship with a crucifix pose all he wants, but he's 2,000 years too late, friends. Somebody already saved us. Can you say amen to that? So in John, let's go to John, the first chapter. Say there when you were there. One of you is there. Don't make me come ask each one of you individually. That'll just get awkward. There, 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 there. Sound like we're soothing a child, doesn't it? So the first chapter of John, in the first verse, we find some pretty profound statements. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. Are we pretty clear that when we're looking at John, in the very beginning, he makes the claim that there is a Creator above everything. We all are responsible to Him. And that that Creator used Jesus to create everything. They were there together in the beginning. The Bible makes the stunning declaration that they're one. The originator of all things is God. In this sense, he is the ultimate father. The Webster's Dictionary defines a father as one that originates or institutes. Would you put that slide back up for me? They also say relating to another as a father to a child. Do you see in English how we separate these two things? The man who originates or institutes may not be the one that relates as a father to a child. In English, we have to make a designation. Sometimes we do it like this, father and stepfather. Other times we do it another way. That's my father, but this is my dad. In these cases, what we're trying to do is say, oh, another one, that's my birth father, we say. What we're trying to do is distinguish between the one who caused you to come into the world and the one that helped you navigate it. Hebrew makes no such distinction. In Hebrew, the very first word defined by the Strong's Greek and Hebrew concordance is Ab. You might recognize it as short for Abba. Ab is father in Hebrew. Abba is like saying daddy. It's a more affectionate thing, but they have the exact same meaning. Every father in Hebrew, every single one, both uh, originates and institutes and he also relates as a father to a child. The Bible never presumes that there would be, in the human condition, fathers who did not love their children. Never presumes that. It fixes the problem. But it presumes that the Father of lights, our Father, our Heavenly Father, was going to pour out His love on mankind, 
that the first place in a household it would fall would be a husband, a father, and then it would roll to a wife and then to children, and love would have a natural gravity to, towards it, that it would flow downhill. This is why James says every good and perfect gift is from above. In other words, from top down, love would be demonstrated. And when we say Father, we are saying you are the one who has demonstrated love to us. You are the one who originated everything. The book of Romans says he demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, he died for us. The Father is the ultimate example of love. Hebrew actually says something really, really different than an English concept. And we can find that in the rest of the book of John here. I left off in the third verse. I'm going to pick up in the fourth. Actually, let's pick up in the tenth. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. How is it possible that a loving father, a father that cared for his creation, gave it crops in season and out of season? Uh, a father that made children who resembled him. How is it that those children did not recognize him? They didn't recognize him even though the world was made through him because their character was not the same as his. But every good father has the role of shaping character. My job with Gabriel is not just to hold Gabriel's hand. It's not just to provide for him. The book of Deuteronomy teaches me I am supposed to impress upon him the character of God. Is the good father, is, is our heavenly father a good father? Yes. Then understand he wants you to have his character. He's not trying to withhold it from you. He's not trying to keep it back. He's not trying to hide who he is from you. In fact, in, in Jesus he appeared. And he was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. If we have the good kind of church service that we should have, if we're walking in the, in the steps of the Holy Spirit of God, and not just in this building, but everywhere that we go, then when you meet people that are filled with the very character of God, it ought to come, uh, it ought to bring you to a place where you have to make a decision. I recognize something of God in that person. Do I want to be more like that or do I want to run from it? This is light. Do I want to dwell in it or do I want to hide from it? Understand that the natural human condition when we meet pure, unadulterated godliness is to hide from it. This is why on our television shows, they'll have a kid with a Bible and the other kids go, oh, that's boring and make fun of it. It's why every preacher you've ever seen characterized on a television show was sleeping with a secretary, stealing money and faking healings. The world is set up by the evil one in deception so that you do not recognize the character of the father. But the Bible teaches us what the character of the father is like. And more than that, he put all of you guys out there in his image as his little image bearers and then those of you that have been born again he gives you his name so that you can carry it around and everybody will get to see what God is like that's a pretty high calling if you're an ambassador for the president of the United States you would take that seriously you'd probably want to make sure you knew the national anthem you might want to make sure that well these days it's hard to tell but you knew what the Declaration of Independence was might even have read the Constitution a time or two. 
because it would be important to you to represent your country well. It's worth thinking about on this day where we tend to think about what others did and did not do for us. It might be very important today to simply say, as a child, how have I represented my father? Because that really is the question that we're going to stand before him and answer, isn't it? When we look through this scripture, verse 12 says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to do what? Become children of God. Now, I thought God was the originator of all things. Don't you hear people say we're all God's offspring? In Hebrew, God never changes. He's Ab, the father who originates and the father who relates as a father to children. That's who he is. But in Hebrew, the emphasis, the weight is placed on children. If you receive him, then you are his child. If you do not receive him, then you are not his child. He's a good father to everyone. The responsibility is on the children to respond to the father. That's an interesting concept because we say it's a two-way street. We say, you know, if my dad's good to me, I'll be good to him. We say if my kids behave, then I'll be good to them. But the Bible presumes that the one in authority is always good and you have a responsibility to learn to reciprocate. You see this throughout the scripture so that in Ephesians, you hear that parents are not supposed to exasperate their children, but that's about all they're told. Children are told to love and obey their parents. It's assumed that the parent loves and obeys the children. But children always have to learn to reciprocate. When we call ourselves children of God, what we're saying is we are learning to reciprocate what God has already done for us. So let me ask you, has God been good to you? Has God been good to you? Has God been good to you? Then what should we do for Him? We should be good to Him. His purposes should be first in our life. We need to put away petty differences. We need to set aside things that would keep us from being good to Him. In Hebrew, there's three different words that you might hear for a son or daughter. The first is bar. The second is ben. And the third is bot. Now, this is interesting. I named one of my kids who I can't find in here today. Judah, are you in here? Back there. His middle name is Benjamin. This is Hebrew for son of happiness. Ben means son. Now, how can you be a son of happiness? How does that happen? Can, can happiness conceive a child? You know, hopefully when you conceived a child, you were happy, but the emotion happiness doesn't bring children into the world. When a Hebrew says son of, he literally means whoever you act like most. Also, the word bar means same thing, son of. So when you hear a word in English, Barnabas, what that really means is Bar-Naba, son of prophecy. His life was characterized by prophecy and that's what his name means. Some people say encouragement, but that's because they're scared of the Pentecostal world. Bar Barnabas means son of prophecy. When you hear the word bot, this is just a Hebrew way to say the same thing, but female. Exactly. One word for father, three words for children. And you need to hear this. Even if you are the genetic descendant of someone, in Hebrew, you are not considered their children if you don't act like them. So what we hear then is that somebody was a son of Hillel, a famous rabbi. Why? Because they acted like that famous rabbi. The way that Romans 4.16 says it is therefore the promise comes by faith. 
so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, those who were genetically Abraham's offspring, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of all. So you could be born in Abraham's household and not act like Abraham, and the Bible would not consider you uh, in the faith of Abraham, a true child of Abraham. This is what Paul meant when he said, not all Israel is Israel. And the great mystery was somebody just like you, somebody just like me that never met Abraham and maybe even never met Abraham's descendants, although I doubt that because they're as numerous as the sand on the seashore and the stars in the heavens, can become a child of Abraham. How do you become a child? When you're of the faith of Abraham. When we talk about the father today, I need you to think, what is God like? If you want to be called his child, you have to be like him. When we determine the word Christian, what Christian means in English speak is, I am like Christ. In fact, in some languages, there's no other way to say it. In German, when you say Christian, you say, I am Christ. And it's simply understood that you're not the original, you're a copy of the original. And just like all copies, it degrades a little bit through time. But you bear the image of Christ. How many of you would breathe a, breathe a big sigh of relief if everybody who wore the name Christian actually was an image of Christ? There's an entire world organization enslaving a fifth of the world's population that is nothing like Christ, and they claim to represent Him to the globe, and nobody seems to notice. Everywhere we go, people say they have problems with organized religion. Okay, I'm not going to pick on anybody. Let me, let me get my hand up here first. I'm a pastor and I have a problem with organized religion. Anybody else in here have a problem with organized religion? Look at all those hands. I want to tell you, you don't have a problem with organized religion. You have a problem with people that claim to be Christ and are not like Christ at all. But this begs the question, what are you going to do about it? When does it become your responsibility to bear the image of your father? At what age do you reach spiritual maturity where you're emancipated, so to speak, and now you're free to sin or not sin and do what he tells you to do? In Hebrew, that began at 13 years old. When you could read the Torah and understand the Torah, you released your father of his obligation, and now you learned from him because you could understand for yourself. Do you think that we've done a good job of instilling that same kind of seriousness in our teenagers? No, they're interested in becoming intergalactic Xbox assassins, right? They, they want to be heroes in a very virtual world. But whose fault is that? See, the living God is setting us a perfect example. Can we say God is good? Somebody say He's good. Let's talk about the revelation of the Father. In the Older Testament, the term God... Right? All of its various words for God. Anything except Father. We find 2,619 times. Say, that's a lot of times, Pastor. Time. 2,619 times. That's all. If we read all those references, we wouldn't finish this year. In the Older Testament, the term for Father is only used in relation to God about 10 times. Isn't that interesting? It's actually about seven, but there's three that are debatable. Now, I want you to think about all the times you hear in daily speech the word God. God bless America, right? God bless me. God, if you can get me out of here, 
God, why'd you let this happen? God, did, I just stepped in gum. See, we hear all of these, don't we? Don't act like you never heard it. We say, we don't say that in church, but you do out there. Do you really think God's different out there than in here? We hear the word God all of the time. Why do you not hear the words, Father, bless America. Father, if you'll get me out of here. Father, why'd you let this happen? And you know what you never hear? It's Father, D-A-M, I just stepped in God. You know why? The word God is the way that lost people refer to a deity. It's the way that they say to a very impersonal, distant God that I do not feel a close personal relationship with. You know the only time Jesus was ever praying and he addressed his father as God only and not his father? When he was hanging on the cross. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you first... Every other time he ever spoke, think about what he said. Father. A man who is in relationship with the Lord is in relationship with him like a father and son, meaning he has a perfect character and my job is to imitate it. But a man who relates to him from a distance, like a boss, says, that's God. We want to know the revelation of the Father. That's what we want. The New Testament came to speak to us about a revelation of the Father. The way that that said in John 1, look at verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known has made him knowable i can't tell you how many times you meet a great man at least you think he's great and then the second generation you're sorely disappointed in our father will not be in that category i want you to hear something he will he purchased and he will have children that look like him I don't have to wonder, will there be a spotless bride of Christ? All I have to wonder is, who will the spotless bride of Christ be? Our Father will have people who look and act like Him. He's so dedicated to it that He sent His own Son here to show us exactly what He is like. This is really important. The, the revelation of the New Testament, when it comes right down to it, is while the Older Testament speaks of God only ten times or fewer as a father, the Newer Testament speaks 42 times in the book of Matthew calling God Father. Speaks more than 250 times in the New Testament as a whole of God as Father. Where He was once at a distance from us, not because... Not because he changed, but because there was no way for us to become like him. He now will relate to you as closely as a father and a child. Y'all ever seen somebody who wasn't a particularly good daddy, but still, if you threaten their children, a protective nature came out? It was not long ago Judah ran over somebody's mail, no, not mailbox, garbage can. And he was brand new driving. It was a serious storm, and the garbage can blew into the middle of the street. Now, I heard about that, and I felt bad for Judah immediately. Willing to accept whatever the, the penalty was. With nobody around, Judah gets out of the car. He goes to the man's uh, door, knocks on it, and tells the man, I hit your garbage can. How many of you, when you were teenagers, wouldn't have done that? See, I wouldn't. Not only would I run over his garbage can, I'd have drug it down the street to see if it made sparks. I was not in the image of the father. My, my little young man is... Uh, 
He's growing into a righteous man, and I'm proud of him for that. But the response of the man behind the door was incredibly negative. So when Judah comes home and he tells me, now, I know y'all think pastors walk around in a cloud of holiness all of the time. I was not all that happy. And I began to surmise which neighbor it, it might be, because you live somewhere 10 years, you get to know people. And there's this one particular one that's a yoga instructor, and he's really outspoken. And, you know, he and I just hadn't always got along all that well. And then there was a ring at the doorbell. I have never made it from my bedroom to the front door quite so fast or with such an intense attitude. And it was not him. It was somebody came to perform some service in the backyard. And you notice how innate it is in a human being to want to protect your offspring. Do you really think if we're like that, the Heavenly Father is not looking out for you? Do you think that if a, a judge in a pagan natural sense will give someone justice that our Father will not give us justice? Jesus came to show us what the Father was like. So he runs into a leper and the leper says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And what did Jesus say? I am willing. He is showing us what the Father is like. Somebody say God is good. He is good, friends. Now, we cannot ignore the fact that we did not start with God's character. Where did you start? That's right. Maybe your family didn't have the mullets or the Marlboros. Mine had Coors cans rolling around in the back of their pickups, like coffee ended and Coors started. And, um, you know, I don't know. It's just the world I was born into is Marlboros, cigarettes, and Aquanet, right? All of the women in my family were beauticians. And they were not terrible people as far as the world goes. Most of them were very sweet, and a bunch of them are still around. But when it comes down to it, we're all made of the same stuff. And it's dirt, friends. What you see on the left is the elemental makeup of the earth's crust. What you see on the right is the elemental makeup of the human body. There is not much difference. It's almost as if when the Bible says that God formed man out of the dust of the earth, he was serious. Now, if you were made from dirt, then the question becomes, does that dirt define you? Will that always be what people see about you and what you see about yourself? Or will something else define you? See, you can choose all of your life to walk around and talk about what your daddy didn't do for him. Of course, what about his daddy? What about his daddy's daddy? How far back do we go? We can get all the way back to Adam. And we came from the same problems. That's what we came from. The question is, is there anything more than dirt in you? Are you dirt only? You know, I don't have any problem when somebody says, you know, pastor, you're this or you're that, and it's not a good this or that. Because it's probably true. I mean, just the God's honest truth is most things you could say about me are true. But praise God, I'm not only that. See, Genesis 2-7 says that God took the dust of the earth and He breathed the breath of life into it. This is an interesting phrase in Hebrew. It says that He nashuma kai. He violently, forcefully injected the spirit of life into a human being. It has even echoes of the word at Pentecost when a violent, rushing wind entered this world. God took dirt and he blew into it, and the result was life. Somebody take a deep breath. Come on now. 
That's a gift from God. That's a gift from God. I mean, that's what it is. You like that, my friend? We want more gifts from God for you. A gift from God is that He put breath in your being. That's what He did. And every time you take a breath, you get more of that in you. Now the question is, are you really going to live your life as dirt when you have the substance of heaven inside of you? See, you were not dirt only. You came out of the dirt and you're supposed to still be coming out of the dirt. The Bible does not say God looked into the dirt and He blew down into the dirt. He says He took the man and formed him. He took something dirty and He blew into it something beautiful and we're still coming out of the dirty. This is the Bible story. You have a choice in your life which will define you. Whether you are going to be a child of your father or a child of the dirt. Which do you choose, friends? I want to be a child of God. Look at Galatians 5 with me. When you get to Galatians 5 and the 16th verse, tell me. Brothers, fast. Where are the rest of you? Help me out. You know, even pastors every now and then need a little encouragement. Somebody say, Pastor, you're doing all right. Come on, let's hear it again. You know what? If I do my job well, some of you could be mad at me by the end of the service. And that's good. You're supposed to be. Some of you are going to be encouraged. And that's good. You're supposed to be. Some of you are not going to know how to feel. You're just going to go home and praise God. Hopefully, some of it will come back to you. My job was never to walk out this walk for you. It was never to be the living perfect example for you. We love to lift our leaders high. Because if you can get them high enough and far enough away from you, they can be your representative Christian. But that's not how this works. The living God says that you are to be His child. Not me, His child for you. So the goal of this ministry, the aim of this message and every other, is to get us to take that responsibility seriously. And if possible, to get a little more heaven breathed in us than dirt that stuck to us. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Come heaven. Holy Ghost, take over this service now. Mighty one, as we read your word, I ask that you would move upon the people. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke every demonic force that would want to stop the work of God. Devil, I tell you, you cannot stop the work of God. We will press on today, tomorrow, and we will reach our goal in the name of Jesus. Y'all give Jesus a hand clap. In the fifth chapter of Galatians, the 16th verse, he says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Live by the very breath of God and you will not edify or gratify the dirt. They're in conflict with each other, the Scripture says. For the sinful nature, the dirt, desires what is contrary to the Spirit, the breath of God. And the Spirit, what is contrary to the sinful nature. God made you to have a war inside of you. And the entire seventh chapter of Romans is dedicated to that war. He breathed into an earthly pile of dirt something heavenly. He caused heaven to shine upon earth. That's to give you hope, friends. What were you when He found you? Dirt. And now the dirt is at war with the breath of God. And the breath of God is at war with the dirt. So do you hate your flesh? Of course not. 
You make it obedient to God, which is what we're doing all over the creation. Every time a man falls in love with Jesus and Jesus begins to direct his life, we have seen the dirt fail. We have seen the demonic powers fail and the name of Jesus lifted up. This is the mandate mankind was given. On Father's Day, it's important that we learn to distinguish between the children of God and the children of the world. Starting in verse 17 again. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other. Somebody say conflict. conflict. Now I want you to understand. While it's true that you may struggle with sin, when sin stops being a struggle and begins being a companion, you are no longer a child of God. When you get to the place that sin is what you look forward to, sin is what you're planning, and sin is what has defined you, it doesn't matter whether you were once in the fold or not. You are nothing like your father. But as long as you struggle against sin, as long as there is a battle raging inside you that says the good that I want to do is not the good that I, I do. And the evil that I do is not what I want to do. And that battle is raging. That's what grace is for. That's what mercy is for. And you know what? That's not for me to decide in your life. It's not for me to decide in your life. But at some point you have to come real before God and say, Lord, you are the great judge of all mankind. In this battle with sin, am I taking it seriously? Or am I simply play, playing lip service? And because He loves us, sometimes He'll send a prophet. Sometimes He'll send someone who points out sin. Somebody like Isaiah who says, Inasmuch as these people draw near to me with their lips, their hearts are far from me. In the hopes that they'll turn around. Because God is not willing that any should perish. In fact, Titus says, The grace of God has appeared to all men to teach us to say no to ungodliness. What is grace for? It's not so you can slide on a greasy road right into hell. Grace is here that says if you're willing to fight, He will grant you victory. You just have to stay in the fight. Anybody in here still in the fight? Oh my goodness, in the name of Jesus, I won't give up. There's still breath of God in me. There's still life of God in me. Devil, you have not won. He came to steal. He came to kill. He came to destroy. And I'm still here. And the breath of God is still in me. Amen for Jesus. Amen. The apostles were not immune to this very same struggle. They were not super apostles. They were not the iconic church figures that are painted and embellished on stained glass. They were regular men and women. And listen to what Paul said in the 19th verse, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Look what he says in the 22nd verse. The fruit of the Spirit is. He names how you can tell which one you're a part of. So let me ask you, do you really think you can be a child of God and sexual immorality define your life? Do you really think you can be a child of God and dwell in impurity every day? Do you really think debauchery, you can crave what is crooked and what is wrong and dwell with the living God. He will meet you. He will meet you for the purpose of changing you. Hatred and discord. You know, in America, we say that we're free from idolatry all of the time. 
But we feel perfectly free to hate our neighbor, which makes us idols to ourselves. Discord. How well are you getting along with society around you? And if you are not getting along with society around you, can you say it's for righteousness sake? Or is it for selfishness sake? Fits of rage. Listen, all of these things are possible in every believer because you are a combination of dirt and heaven. But they better not define your life. Selfish ambition. You know, this is the church's dirty little secret. We all want to do something for God as long as it's good for us too. Where is the, where's the guy who wants to be Jonah's worm? You remember the little worm in the book of Jonah? Jonah had one little plant grew up over his head. It shaded his bald head. Any bald guy say amen? Because I'll say amen twice. Shaded his bald head. Is that a bad thing? Want a little shade? Anybody in here ever wear a hat? You remember in Honduras how, how burned we got? So what happened? God wanted to teach Jonah a lesson, and the Bible says God appointed a worm. That's not a very glorious calling, is it? But the worm did his job well. He ate the bush. That's what he was supposed to do. Do we only want to serve God if there's glory in it for us? Is that all we want? Or do we want to serve the living God even if no one will ever know our names? Why do you want to be a leader? Why do you want to do things? Is it so others will know, or is it because you're imitating the character of your father? And when you do that naturally, and when you love him naturally, you just want to be more like him, is leadership what happens because people are following you? Or do you simply aspire to something so that you will feel a sense of self-worth? Our self-worth comes from imitating the living God. And when you imitate him, he defines who you are. You know why we have a, a whole generation full of plastic people? Because they don't know who they are. They're not imitating the living God. We can change our names. I, I, how many of you got a street name in here? <laughs> you know, we got, we got one name in church. We got another name out on the street, right? And we say we do it to protect ourselves. But the truth is we do it to project something. It's the same reason that some of you people that live in the computer world have these icons that look nothing like you. It's the same reason that we, we have screen names, right? I mean, don't you love to get to see somebody's screen name? You know, it's a little lady that pray, plays bridge every week and her screen name is, you know, Hot Mama 1962, you know? I mean, we're projecting something because we don't know who we are. Do you know who's supposed to teach you who you are? Your father. Your father. And some of us have been fatherless in the natural and some haven't. But we never have to be fatherless spiritually. He will step in and be a father to the fatherless. His Bible says so. He will give you his character and give you his name. So what is it that, that uh, ails us? It's our breaking of our relationship with the father. When you love him, this is what happens. You begin to love other people. Joy invades your life. Suddenly the same circumstances are there, but you don't feel overcome by them in the same way. You can actually experience joy. Peace begins to invade your life. The sense that everything's right with God, so everything's all right. He'll put things in order with fellow man. The next one, patience. Oh, Christians, if we could learn patience. We think God is Burger King, literally. We order at the first window, and at the second window, if it's not ready, we're mad. You get born again one week, and the next week your life is, is not yet better, and you say, oh, 
God's just not doing it for me. Well, it took you 30 years to screw up your life as bad as it is, but you want Him to fix it in six days? And if He did fix it in six days, how many more days before you forgot Him for doing it? What if He allows you to have to have long suffering for the purpose of developing His character in you? How many years has He waited on you to do what is right? See, when we learn to wait on the Lord, it makes Him Lord. When we say, Lord, I want, Lord, I need, Lord, do this, it makes him our genie. You think you can just ask for a fourth wish and get it? It won't work, friends. The fruit of the Spirit results in kindness. You're no longer mad at everybody around you because God, who had every right to be mad at you, is now not angry with you. It results in goodness. The word good is associated phonetically with the word God for a reason. In most languages, they're almost the same word. You hear uh, Europeans sometimes say, Gott es gut, you know, and it's because the words are so close. Goodness is beginning to act like the Lord. Faithfulness. How faithful has the Lord been? How many people were righteous in Noah's day? Eight. But he kept this ball of dirt going and even put a promise in the sky for all mankind to see. And we're still on the planet. Uh, how about at the Tower of Babel? How, how were things? All humanity united against him. But he is faithful. He made a promise and he is keeping his promise. When you begin to imitate him, you become gentle to those who need mercy. And you become aggressive as all get out to those who would deny them mercy. You look at who Jesus is mean to. He came to reveal the Father. He's mean to religious men who look down on everyone else and He's kind to prostitutes and tax collectors because He knows all they need is to learn to be like the Father. He knows that. Self-control. You know, the Father has no problem controlling Himself. He gets angry. Did you know the Bible says He gets He gets so angry that the Bible actually says it's in 2 Samuel 22 that smoke rises from His nostrils. That's pretty angry. Michael's seen me angry a few times, but he never seen smoke come out of my nostrils. And yet he's never sinned in that anger. Did you know God feels pain? The sixth chapter of Genesis says his heart was filled with pain because the inclination of man's heart was evil all of the time. And yet in that pain, he never resulted to, resorted to sin. Who in here can say that? In your pain, you didn't slander. In your pain, you didn't wish ill. In your pain, you didn't resent the good things that God had given you. Who could say that? But He can. And He sent Jesus as the perfect image of an invisible God. He's the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form to show us what love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control look like. This is how we can distinguish. But they're in conflict with each other, friends. They are battling with each other. Is there a battle raging in you? Is there the good that you want to do and right there a voice saying, uh, um, uh, you don't have to do that. Uh, love the Lord, but don't be quite so fanatical. You don't have to go be all, all cultish and crazy. Those are all the things I heard when I got born again. As soon as I took on my Father's nature, as soon as I began in the name of Jesus to act like the living God, others and even others in the church, in fact, mostly the church, Told me to calm down, it would wear off. Twenty years later, it hasn't. You know why? 
He's been breathing into me. And I'm not just dirt anymore. There's something of the heavens in me. Turn to Psalm 85. I pray in some of you too. Everybody tell me there when you're there. Psalm 85 is a psalm of repentance. And it's worth contemplating, particularly when you think about what happened in worship. Now, if you've never been in a worship service where people prophesied, this might be confusing to you. You might not be used to it. Somebody to speak out who is not uh, on the stage, the holy stage behind the holy pulpit. There's nothing holy about this stage. I built it. I built it with the help of some friends, some elders, and praise God, a couple framers from our Spanish congregation. It's just wood. There's nothing holy about that pulpit. It's just wood. There's nothing particularly holy about any human being. They're just dirt until God fills them with His presence and they become something more than that. If you were in the service earlier and you heard somebody prophesy, they spoke out as inspired by the Spirit, and then you saw that response, people's hearts broken, going to the altar and praying and asking God to examine them, to search them, then you need to know something. The Spirit of God is trying through every way possible in this room to get us to get our hearts right before God. Now, if it was new to you, it might have made an impression. The problem with those of us that it's not so new to is we transition from worship to preaching and forget that in worship, God preached. God Himself spoke through a young lady in the church and told us to get our hearts right before Him. Psalm 85 is a man who wrote a song about getting your heart right. He was one of the sons of Korah. And by the way, Korah is one of the few men in the Bible who went into hell alive. He was a dog. He rejected his position of authority as not enough. But his sons chose to be like their heavenly father, and they distanced themselves from Korah. You showed favor to your land, O Lord. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. You set aside your wrath and turned from your fierce anger. Restore us again, O God, our Savior, and put away your displeasure towards us. Will you be angry with us forever? Jesus' ministry answers that question. Who was he angry with forever? None. He, was, he actually said, Come unto me, all you who are heavy burdened, for my yoke is easy and it's light. Does that sound like a God who is angry with everyone in the room? He's not. He's looking for a chance to free you. You say, well, I've been freed before. As many times as it takes, friends. To Jews who believed in Him in John 8, 31, He said, if you hold to My teaching, you are really My disciples. It is not enough to come have a warm, fuzzy experience at an altar and to walk well in the Lord for a month or two or a year or two or a decade or two. Our salvation is an ongoing fight, a struggle, heaven against dirt and which will define you. So that by the end of your life, you can say what the Apostle Paul said, I have fought the good fight. He was at the end of his race, and he never quit, so God credited him with righteousness. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again? You know one of the clear signs somebody's dead? No breath. Come on now, you've all seen it. 
You get close to somebody to see whether they're breathing. You might put your, your ear to their chest to see if there's a heartbeat. Spiritually speaking, will we have to slide a mirror under your nose to see that the breath of God is in you? Do you hide it so well that you look dead to everyone? Or are you a raging torrent, a nashima, a violent rushing wind that the whole world is taking notice that the Spirit of God is in you? Maybe now's the time to say, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? You know what the sign of being revived is? The Hebrew word for rejoice means to leap and spin hilariously. Oh my goodness, that'd shake up the Presbyterian church, wouldn't it? Shake up most churches. Might even shake up this church. When the Spirit of God is in you, it's not a quiet matter. You're proud of your daddy. You're proud of who he is. You're proud of what he's made you. You're proud of his character. And you can't wait to tell the world because the good news is not that you're his child. The good news is he gives this right to as many as who would believe on him. If you will receive him, if you will recognize who he is, he will give you this right. That would make somebody want to leap and spin. That would make somebody happy enough to shout out loud in church. As long as you let the heavenly powers that are in rebellion to God, those hellish, devilish things, convince you that the way you honor God is to sit, fold your hands, and slumber and sleep while you're at church, then how would the world ever know? How would they ever know if you're content to play nice, to get along, and just compete with your neighbors who has the most crap? I'm sorry, I'm staring at an elder. Stuff. <laughs> Crap is Hebrew for stuff. It's, it's not. It's not. I told you, there's still dirt in here. Potting soil. But something's beginning to grow in it, praise God. Something's growing right out of that potting soil. I might even preach myself into happiness as we go. In Psalm... Y'all don't get up like that? I woke up this morning and I made my cup of coffee. It's 4 o'clock, right? That's early for me. I stay up till 4 easier than I get up at 4. And, uh, and I made my cup of coffee and I went to take my first drink and, and someone had been kind enough to, to give me a dirty coffee cup. Uh, it was in the clean place, but it was dirty. It had egg in it. And I know you like eggs and coffee, but I don't like them at the same time with three-day-old eggs. So I went downstairs to get my bottle of water, right? Because... Water is an acceptable alternative to, uh, to coffee and eggs. And uh, I left four, four bottles of water on, on the ground in the kitchen because when you carry them in from the grocery store, they're heavy, right? And uh, my little dachshund anointed them in a way that is uh, not smearing with good things. And, you know, joy just did not naturally flow out of me today. There was more dirt than there was joy. And therein lies the problem. We have to decide which one is going to define us, friends. Could you use some more of heaven? In Psalm 85, he says, Restore us again, O God, our Savior, and put away your displeasure towards us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again? The answer is yes, He will. That your people may rejoice in you. Show us your unfailing love, O Lord. Grant us your salvation. 
Does that sound like a salvation earned? Does it sound like somebody just got so good at putting dirt down that they were just heavenly themselves? No, salvation is granted to the man who is struggling against sin and trusting God. You know who it's not granted to? The man who simply asked to be saved and has no desire to be saved from their own sin. That is not salvation. It doesn't matter how many American evangelists say it. It doesn't matter how many times they promise it and guarantee that 100,000 people were saved in the last crusade. If there is no turning from sin, there is no salvation and there is no rejoicing. What you have is people who wear the name Christ, but they are not the image of Christ. The Bible holds out the hope of glory, which is Christ being formed in you means his image starts small, but then it grows and begins to define your very life. I will listen to what God, the Lord, will say. He promises peace to his people, his saints, but let them not return to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. You want to find out how to receive love and affection from the Lord? Desire to get right with Him. He actually goes so far as to say, when faithfulness springs up from the earth, springs up, it might even look like this. When faithfulness springs up, what looks down? Righteousness. This is very similar to the promise that says, when you draw near to Him, he will draw near to you. You know what else this is similar to? The prodigal son and the righteous father. Where was the righteous father when the prodigal was returning? He was looking, waiting, and he went out to meet him on the way. It is not that we serve a God who is distant from us. It's that we were born distant from Him. And He is looking for any inclination to follow Him. He's looking, watching, seeing if there's anything in your life that He can bless. He's looking to see whether He can inject more heaven into you if you will receive more of Him so that you can become more like Him. He longs for the creature that His hands have made. We act like He hates us. We act like because we sinned, he won't come near us. It is not true. It's because we sinned, we're scared to go near Him. It's not the other way around. Come on, saints, that's good news in here. If your sin kept God away from you, how would you ever get saved? Your sin hardens your heart towards who He is. It lies to you and deceives you so that you don't see Him as a good Father. You see Him as an angry God ready to smite you. When the truth is, he's angry with sin and he wants to forgive you. There is a day in which you'll find an angry God that does smite you. That's when you refuse to become his children and you stand at the end of your life before him. You give an account for every deed done in the body. Every single one, whether good or bad. I know lots of theology has worked to erase that, but every epistle affirms it. Every single one in the whole Old Testament, look for it, calling it the day of the Lord. We're going to have to stand and give an account for the fact that He made us in His image. He gave us the power of attorney to use His name. What an important thing.
We have a forgiving Father. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. It's one of my favorite verses. He's looking for any opportunity. He's waiting for you to simply turn and say, Father, I need help in this struggle. I'm losing over here. Let's call in the air attack. Almighty God, would you send some heavenly mortars? I need some support. I'm dying. And He will. The one heart he can't hardly deal with is the one that blames him for your problems and sits in your sin and refuses to change. But then in Hebrew, the father's always the same. It's the children's behavior that determines whose child they are. Ezekiel 37 has got to be one of the finest passages in all of the Bible. Please turn with me there. Say there when you're there. Dustin beat everybody in the church. Where are the rest of you? Ezekiel 37. Oh, man, do, does anybody have a title in Ezekiel 37? Somebody call it out. You can speak in church. Dry bones. Them dry bones, the blues singers used to say. Dry bones, dry bones, them dry bones. You know what the glory of dry bones is? Not a thing. They're useless. They're brittle. They're dead. They're dusty, they're gone. A sign where life once was and is now not. Anybody in here just desire to be surrounded by bones? But God sent His prophets into the middle of dry bones. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and He brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord. That word spirit, by the way, ruach, it is breath. The ruach of the Lord. And sent me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. How desperate is your situation? You know, I don't really fear for the man who knows how desperate his situation is. I fear for the man who has no idea the peril he's in. They asked Harriet Tubman one time if it was true that she freed hundreds of slaves. And she said, yes, I would have freed thousands if only they had known they were slaves. The church is in the same state, friends. We proclaim ourselves free. But if all you are is dry bones, how free are you really? So he sends his prophets. The hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley. Bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of Yahweh. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. The living God is such a benevolent God that He will send people into your life that if they will speak and you will listen, He will cause His life to enter you no matter how far gone you are. Look, there's all kinds of dead, friends. There's dead and there's twice dead the Bible speaks about. But let's just talk about stages of death for a minute. There's a dead body that's still warm. There's a dead body that's experienced rigor mortis. There's a dead body that's begun to decay. How dead do you have to be before all your bones are on the floor and are not just dry? They're so very dry that there's no moisture in them. That's pretty dead. Dead a long time. Really far gone, isn't it? 
How dead is the devil telling you your life is? Because I'm telling you the living God can speak into it. He can speak into it, and when faithfulness springs up from the earth, righteousness will look down from the heavens. He's looking for any inkling. You know what happens here? There's 14 verses here. And in 10 of them, God says, breathe. God is saying, I want an injection of the heavens right into the midst of this dirt and decay and nastiness because my spirit will change everything. You want to talk about dry, dead religion? Dry, dead religion is religion that ignores the Spirit of God because it leaves you a pile of bones that says it looks like Jesus. Isn't this exactly what Jesus said to the Pharisees? You whitewashed walls on the outside. You're all pretty, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. But let the Spirit of God enter those dead men's bones. And in this chapter, they began to rattle Come on, can you hear a little bit of rattling in the Spirit? That rattle is hope! It's hope, saints! It's hope that Jesus can turn it around. The rattling began to start and then flesh and tendons appeared on the skeletons. And then they stood to their feet. And before long, there was a vast army there. The living God is able to raise up right out of death and destruction an army for Himself. An army of His children! Because the Spirit of God is what defines them. You tell me that any one of those soldiers said, it's my strength that did this. You tell me any one of those soldiers said, I have a selfish ambition now. Their very reason for existence was literally the breath of God. What do you live for? What is defining your life? The Spirit of God is everything, friends. All the rest is vanity. All the rest is trash. At the end of this age, I will be the happiest man you know. But rich men now who have ignored Him will be the unhappiest people that you know. They're kings today and paupers for eternity. I'd rather be a pauper today and a king for an eternity. Thanks. We have such an important choice. You can say, well, it's a Sunday service. It's a Father's Day. We're supposed to have a nice thematic message. Could we hold hands and skip along? That's some other church. That's not this one. Because what we have sitting right here today is we have the potential to change the world by acting like our Father. Right here today, we have men and women in what the Bible calls the Valley of Jehoshaphat. It's a place where a decision must be made. The living God is drawing you into a place where you get to decide whether you're going to be dry bones Are you going to be the Spirit of God? On the left, we see Joe Dirt. It's easy to make fun of, isn't he? Scrawny. Not such a beautiful haircut. An accent that the whole world likes to make fun of. Slave to his addictions. Can't even put down the cigarette to point at the camera. And we like to pick on people like that. Why? Why do you like to pick on the down and outers? Why in your thoughts do we separate you from whoever you consider as down and out? Because we like to pretend that there's some dirt that's better than other dirt. It's all dirt. You're either a child of God blazing with His Spirit or you're a son of disobedience. There is no middle ground. There's no such thing as a pretty good person, a good old boy. 
Somebody who always tried to do what's right, like Grandma said. It's a lie. Your auntie could have told you about Jesus. Your grandma could have told you about Jesus. Maybe even occasionally you went to church. What difference does that make? Dirt is dirt, friends. What has defined your life? Is the Spirit of God raging inside your heart, waiting for a chance to tell people about the goodness of God? Is the Spirit of God moving you towards righteousness? Is He causing you to obey the commands of the Lord? And when you don't obey, does it break your heart like you lost a battle? See, this, this is children of God. And you know what? He takes alcoholics. He takes drug addicts. He takes adulterers. He takes murderers. He takes all kind of, because it's all just dirt to Him. But if He breathes in it, it becomes a living being. A living being. I want to be a living being in His presence. I want you to be a living being in His presence. In John 11, the 17th through 25th verse, Jesus' friend, Lazarus, has died. And when Jesus arrives, the body's already been in the grave four days, so you've got to imagine Lazarus' sisters are just a little bit upset. Lord, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. Isn't this what we say about our problems, friends? If God is really God, then why is this bad stuff happening to me? Because, you know, if He loved me, it wouldn't have happened. Now, dry bones is your own making. Let's just be real. He pulled you out of dirt, He gave you breath, and you hadn't done enough with it. I, you know, it's, it sickens me that you can be born in America and still have a victim's mentality. Because I met people that were born in garbage dumps and became plantation tea workers for less than a dollar a day, worked their entire lives for less than a dollar a day, never with a day off, and were still happy and loved the Lord and didn't see themselves as victims. Let's just be honest. We're victims of our own dirt because we didn't know that we could be more. And if we knew at one time we gave up hope somewhere, Jesus looks right at this woman who has blamed Him. And He said, I am the resurrection and the life. What this quite literally means is if you get an injection of Jesus in you, He can wash away that dirt. It means that He can cause dry bones to come back to life. It means that if you can dare to trust Him in a way that over a prolonged period shows through your actions you're following Him, there is no limit to what He'll do. I'm just going to tell you because I can see all of your faces, right? That's a real benefit. In this room, we have people that have sold dope and now can't wait to tell the gospel. We have in this room people that had such sexually immoral lives that that's what defined them and today they live in purity and can't wait to tell the gospel. We have men in this room that were so violent, people didn't want to be around them. And today, they rescue widows and orphans. In this room, in this room, we've seen ordinary dirt become something that is supernatural. It's almost like when Jesus said in John 5, 23 through 24, there's a day coming when those who hear my voice will rise out of the grave to everlasting life. He said, it is coming and it has now come. I heard His voice, friends. And so I began to pull my life out of the dirt and began to be powered by His Spirit. Him giving me the strength every step. So that when I finish my life, I will no longer be the violent teenager 
who couldn't be trusted with your daughter. I'll finish my life as a man who loved the living God and taught people about His character. For me, the die's been cast. The decision's been made. I've drawn a line in the sand. There's no backing up, no shutting up, no letting up. It's quite literally defined my life. How about you? You with Jesus a little bit? With Jesus on Sundays? Maybe Sundays and Wednesdays? Easter and Christmas? He wants a life that's on fire for Him. Turn with me to John 7. Let's get to the 37th verse. You know, we live in a society that wants a donut when they show up for church, wants a gift certificate when they leave. That's what they want. And if you can get the service from bell to bell under an hour, you can get 30,000 people to come to your service, provided it's mildly entertaining. And everybody loves it. Character God's nowhere to be found. Instead, we identify more with Oprah Winfrey than we do the character of God. No more concerned about going to the lost. We're going to build a big amusement park and maybe the lost will come to us. They won't get changed when they get here. But the goal becomes self-serving, self-growing, self-promoting. I dare to believe that if you can teach people who God says they can become, some remnant, some very few will strive for that. He will meet them in the middle of that struggle and He'll change the world with 12 more than He did 12,000 pleasure seekers. You have a choice to make, saints. What's going to define your life? On the last and the greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, come on, somebody say Jesus shouted sometimes. The gentle little Lamb of God shouted sometimes. What's He getting all hot and bothered about? Jesus looked red in the face, y'all. I think He spit on somebody on the second row by accident. What is Jesus so upset about? If anyone is thirsty, let him come to Me and drink. By this He meant the Spirit. He meant the Spirit of God. John 7, 38, Whoever believes in Me, as the Scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within Him. 7.39 says, By this He meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in Him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus has not been glorified. Is Jesus glorified? Is Jesus glorified? Glorify Him some more. Say something good about Him. Give Him a hand clap. Tell Him you love Him. If Jesus is glorified, then it's time to say, Come Holy Spirit. If Jesus is lifted up, He's lifted up for the purpose of pouring Him out. The goal of the Gospel is not to get Jesus glorified. That was removing the finger from the dam. When Jesus was glorified, He pours out the means by which you can be more like God. The means by which your character can be reshaped. The means by which you can put underfoot the power of sin. When Jesus was glorified, it gives us the chance to drink of the Spirit that empowered Him. Are you Spirit-filled? Is there another kind of Christian? Now, it's possible to be spirit-filled and not have experienced this gift or that gift. Be patient. We're all growing. But don't tell me that you're not. You don't have the Spirit of God in you and you're a child of God. It doesn't work. Romans 8 9 says if His Spirit's not in you, you don't belong to Him. We cannot walk around and give God lip service and serve Him in our intellect. 
He breathes from the heavens into us to cause us to act like Him. And friends, when the world does, sees that, they'll flock to Christianity until they find out the cost. Then some remnant will be saved. You can go your whole life now and never see a church that gives away everything they have. And when I say that, you think I'm talking about a building. I'm talking about the people. Church is the people. They don't live in unity. They don't eat in one another's homes. That's such a rare thing. I was riding with a brother the other day who said, we went to church on Sunday and that's where fellowship started and stopped. I'm so happy that that's not this body of believers. I'm not a Christian on Sunday. I'm not a Christian on Wednesday, at least not only. I'm in love with the Lord every hour of every day. You can stop by my house at any time and whatever we are doing, we're glad to stop and praise Jesus with you. And if we're not doing well, we're even more glad to stop and praise Jesus with you. It's a reminder to get out of the dirt. Look at your friends say, get out of the dirt. Come on, get out of the dirt. God has called us heavenward. He has called us to take a drink from the heavens. And when you've drunk of Him, friends, you become like Him. Children of God are people who act like God. You want to know why they walked around and did miracles? Because He is a miracle-working God. You want to know why they could do things that nobody else could do? Because with God, nothing is impossible. We need to drink of the heavens. Jesus said so. He raised His voice to say so. How dare us sit so quietly in our churches and say, well, bless you. Bless somebody. Help them drink deeply of the Spirit of God. Go out and put it to the test. Go do what He would do. Sometimes prayers become our scapegoat. We say, oh, I'm going to pray about that. Go do it. He already told you to do it. What are you praying about? You get run over from behind by the man who is filled with the Spirit of God intent to do His will. We act like we don't know what we're supposed to do. It's not that hard. There's devils everywhere. Cast them out. There's sick everywhere. Heal them. There's people who don't know about Jesus everywhere. Preach to them. Well, we just don't want to offend. I do. I do. I aim every day to offend somebody. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is offensive to the flesh. And for everyone that's offended, somebody else will find life in it. Okay, how many of you have been offended with me at some point? Don't you lie. Tell the truth. At some point, something I say step on your toes. Well, good, I got half of you still to go. This is how we identify dirt, friends. Superheroes. You were called to be a superhero. You know, when you think about this, it's an interesting one. Whether you're talking about Peter Parker, come on kids, who's that? Spider-Man. Peter Parker's got to put on a ridiculous leotard and then hop around like some kind of French acrobat to go be a superhero, right? What's that thing you and Piro used to go see? You know what I'm talking about. The, the guy? Circus Olay. That's where Spider-Man needs to get his job. Circus Olay. And Bruce Wayne. That's even more pathetic. We have to have an engineer who gives him toys that help him become amazing. You know, Bruce Wayne's just a, just a rich businessman. Peter Parker's just a kid in school until they put on those suits, right? They put on those suits. They become supermen. Our kids love them. My kids do anyway. Superman, who's all the rage right now, though, he's different than all of the others. Superman has to put on regular clothes so that you don't know who he really is because he's born from another world. What a cheap ripoff of Jesus. 
See, we are supposed to have divine substance in us. We are supposed to have something of the heavens in us. And the only thing that disguises us from being supernatural is we put on Clark Kent's clothes. We look like everybody else. But the truth is, if you know who we are and what we're born of, there's nothing we can't do. Superman had to hide from the rest of the world his greatness. The others had to put on some ridiculous suit so people would know they were a hero. You know, this really is the difference between the modern church and the church of Jesus Christ. The modern church is putting on ridiculous religious garb to tell everybody, look how important I am. I mean, have you ever seen such ridiculous hats and collars and robes? It's absurd. It's, it's sickening, really. But those who have been born of the Spirit of God, when they get dressed to go to work, and they're mechanics, and they're salesmen, and they're painters, they look like everybody else. But there is greatness inside of them because heaven has deposited something there. Has heaven deposited something in you? Look at 1 John 3 with me. Say there when you're there. 1 John 3. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. What's that next phrase? And that is what we are. Not what we will be. Not what we can grow into. That is what we are. Supernatural today. Full of power today. Like your Father today. You just have to make a decision that says no more dirt. No more dirty living. It's heaven or bust. Heaven or bust? See, that's where my heart is. Heaven or bust? I'm going to tell you the truth. I thought my garments were white and I get smudges on them. Look for that OxyClean. And it doesn't really exist. There's only one way to get right with God, friends. Just one. You've got to come to Him and say, look what I did with what you gave me. If you can't do that, you can't get right with Him. You can go on colorblind, pretend you don't see it. You can go on acting like everything's okay, I'm okay, you're okay. And He will let you. That's what deceived is. But I think He brought you into this building today so you could take an honest look and go, how do I represent Him? Amen. You know, if you know what you need, He's willing to give it to you. Jesus said, you have not because... You have not because... What do you need to ask Him for? We need a breath from heaven. We need the righteousness that looks down upon a faithful life. Not a perfect life, a life striving for Him. Oh, Jesus. When you look at this next slide, it has two scriptures on it. Oh, I skipped dirty oppression. We're going to skip dirty oppression. That's okay. It says, On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked. Why were the doors locked? Fear of the Jews. What scared you so bad you locked up your heart? You decided not to let anybody in. That lets one message be just like all the other messages you heard pricked a little bit, but you're not going to let anybody know. Go on tomorrow just like I did today. What's locked up the doors of your heart? Christians, at least those who are Christianized, who sit in church all the time, we already know before we got there, right? I mean, I know Jesus, then why do you go? 
Well, to fellowship. But see, the thing is, you don't fellowship. So why do you go? Well, uh, you know, I go to be encouraged. To be encouraged in what? The life you're already living or the one you should be living? We lock up our hearts because we're convinced before we walk through the door, we're all right. It's okay. We're pretty good people. I believe that these men are locked in a room because they don't know who they are. I think they're hiding from the oppressor because they don't know who they really are. So Jesus does something. Look at verse 21. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And with that, what did He do? Breathed on them. When you receive the stuff that Jesus was running on, it changes everything. You don't feel power over sin? That's okay. He will breathe on you. You don't feel like you're a victor? He will breathe on you. You say, I can't? You tell me what Jesus can't do. He will breathe on you. And you can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens you. How were the Scriptures written? God breathed them. How did He breathe them? Through ordinary men like you and me. If they could write the Word, surely you could live it. They wrote it through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. Of course we can live it. The whole world is waiting for this. The entire world in Romans 8. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. You say, I just don't know how anybody could, could not love Jesus. I do. Half the people that say they love Jesus don't. That's how. But when the world sees the sons of God living the way the sons of God were called to live, oh, there's going to be a resurrection from the dead. Friends, everyone, the powers in the heavenlies, the peoples on the earth, the ball of dirt we live on itself called the earth is groaning, waiting for God's children to be revealed. Because when we're revealed, we set the planet in order. You know what you do now? You practice by setting your life and the lives of the people around you in order. This is training for a millennium. And after a millennium, the Apostle John said, what we will be, we don't even know. But what we know is pretty fantastic. So you're left with a choice. You can be defined by dirt or defined by the Spirit of God. Let me ask you, do you really think you can love Jesus and deny His Spirit? In all of your theological thought process there, do you really think you can say yes to Jesus while saying no to what the Bible calls the Spirit of Jesus? That's just dry bones, friends. It's white sepulcher. It looks good on the outside, but there's nothing but dirt on the inside. Y'all stand to your feet.